The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, if you are new, my name is Kyle. Um, great, great, get to have the great joy of uh, serving this, this wonderful church as one of the pastors. Um, we are going through uh, what is called the Sermon on the Mount. This is uh, a bunch of uh, teachings of Jesus where he would take his disciples away, they would sit up on the mountainside, and he's going to basically teach them about his kingdom and how it works. Um, and realistically, this is a whole lot of different sermons that Matthew has compiled sort of into one sermon. Luke does something similar. Um, and just getting all the teachings of Jesus. And so, in many ways, if you want to know what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, you can just read Matthew 5 to 7, and you kind of get a big overarching idea of like, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. And it's a really, 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 really great uh, passage of Scripture. So we've been going through it uh, bit by bit. And then the section that Rosie just read, uh, Matthew 6, 19 to 24, is our passage today. And really, um, as, you, as you read it, as you hear that being read, you kind of know where we're going. And there, there tends to be, like in my experience, there tends to be like two types of churches when it comes to money and and possessions and materialism. There are churches who probably talk about it too much, and it's an every week thing, and then there are probably churches like ours who never talk about it except for when it comes up. Um, and so what we don't want to do is uh, we don't want to go this way and make Christianity everything about money, materialism, and possessions. But if you were to actually take the... If Jesus was to be the pastor of this church... A lot, of, a lot of commentators say he'd probably preach on money about once every four weeks. If you take all of what he says in his teachings throughout the Gospels, like that's how often he's talking about money and possessions. And the reason for that is because of how... It's because of the ability that, that this has to have our hearts. And when you, when you look at even the fact of how Jesus raises this, I think we, we see two things. I think we see his heart. So, for example, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Jesus has no need, need to give us reasons about speaking about our money. It is for him to command. Like, Jesus is a king. He's a ruler. It, he is well within his rights to say, do that. But he says, he stoops to our weakness, mighty as he is, and he comes to our aid and supplies us with reasons for carrying out his command. He does so in a very remarkable manner as he elaborates the reasons and presses them upon our consideration. Whenever we read the Bible, the first question we should always ask is, what does this tell us about God first? Before we get to the practicals of what does this mean for us, what does it tell us about God? And if you look at how God is speaking about money and possessions, through Jesus here, he, he's reasoning with us, which shows us his love and care for us. And in many ways, he's fighting for our heart. But then it also shows us the very real threat. The threat in this passage is materialism. And materialism is that innermost value, that that values the the material, the earthly, the the physical realm over and above the spiritual. And what 
what we could do is we can either go this way or we could go this way and overestimate the spiritual and say, well, it doesn't matter about the physical. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't say that the material is insignificant. What he says is they both matter. And you have to be careful how one implicates the other and influences the other. So Craig Keener says this. He says, most Christians disagree with what the prosperity preachers say over the radio and television. But the main difference between us and them in practice is often that they provide a theological justification for their materialism, materialism, whereas we do not. In other words, churches like ours that probably fall more into the conservative camp will, will clearly preach against prosperity preachers and yet at the same time maybe live very similarly to them. It's a big challenge. So what does Jesus say in this passage? Where he's going to give us three things because we like to walk through things systematically because that's how my brain works. Uh, we're going to look at first, he tells us that your heart can only be at one place at one time. Secondly, your eye can only focus on one thing at a time. And thirdly, you can only have one master at one time. So you with me? Great. Thanks, Shane. All right. Number one, uh, your heart can only be at one place at one time. So he says in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where lives break in the steel, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in. And then he moves on to for where your treasure is, there your heart is. What is Jesus doing here? What Jesus essentially is saying that there is this, this material earthly treasure that we all have, but we must remember that it is transitory. It is passing. It is ephemeral, right? It's a sense of like it doesn't last. It erodes. It decays. And therefore, don't, don't Christian, don't kingdom man, kingdom woman, Spend your life accumulating, depreciating assets. Don't do that. Because what you bring into this world will be what you take with it. Nothing. We don't take anything with us. Um, I was reading just this week that, that Michael Jackson is still a multi-billionaire. And the man is gone, right? It's the idea that he couldn't take his billions with him. And even on this earth, they're still accumulating. And, and they're just here. He's still selling albums. He owns the rights to the Beatles songs. So he's constantly still getting all the, all the um, what do you call it? The royalties. Thank you, church. You're amazing. Uh, the royalties. You see, the most beautiful flower. We, we've got Mother's Day coming up next week. The most beautiful flower, right? from the moment we pluck it, is beginning to decay. That's not to say, husbands, children, don't get your mum flowers. If your mum likes flowers, give her flowers. My wife does not like flowers because she reminds me, why are we going to have that there? It's just going to decay on the table. So we don't get her flowers. Uh, we get her nothing. <clears throat> That's a joke. Uh, many young people in our church uh, are currently getting married and more are getting engaged. We had uh, Kenzie uh, get engaged recently. It's exciting. It's great. But even the, the most beautiful of bride, the most handsome of husband is depreciating in their beauty. 
Anyone over the age of 40 is a testament to this. And this is, I'm not, I'm not knocking anyone in this particular region and sitting in this particular area of church life. But even our beauty, which is amazing. Uh, when, when you see your bride walking down, like you are overwhelmed with the beauty of your bride. But the physical beauty will last only so long. The immaterial beauty is what will last forever. And so even young people in the room, and you're thinking about who you are going to marry, you must not neglect the immaterial beauty. Because if all we do is go for the exterior, it's on the way down. It's declining. But the internal, this is kind of what Jesus gets to now, the immaterial, the heavenly spiritual treasure lasts. It goes on forever. It is permanent. It is imperishable. No one can even steal it. So spend your life investing into such things because that is appreciating assets. And so while you can't necessarily take it with you, there's a sense in which there's something we can send on ahead of us into the heavenly kingdom. 1 Peter 1.4 speaks about it like this way, that we have this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now imagine with me for a second that our Australian government came to us and said, come 2024, we are going to have a brand new economy and a whole new monetary system. And so we're going to do away with the Australian dollar and we're going to implement a brand new currency. Come January 1, 2024, whatever you had in the old currency, no longer can you have. You cannot transfer it, you cannot exchange it for the new one. So basically you've got you've got roughly six, seven, eight months to work out what you want to do with your current currency. How would we live? What would be the wise way to steward what we have? Well, what we would do is, if we were wise, is we'd live off as little as possible with the current currency and exchange as much as we could so that come to 2024, we have as much we could have, right? Would that make financial sense? We wouldn't go ahead and spend all the Australian dollars. We would actually, in a way, try to reduce our cost of living, try to reduce what we have so that we can get as much come with us into the next currency. At some point, we all die. And currency will exchange. And what we have sent on ahead is what we get. So, for example, your character is coming with you to the next life. Invest in that. Grow the internal, grow the you that is the immaterial, not just the physical. Because you are going to go to heaven. You are a part of that kingdom that is going on. So we get to take who we are with us. And so when we think about it, like this is really quite simple and uncomplicated. But it's really hard. Why? Well, I want to... Propose, it's because something may have our heart that is not the kingdom. Jesus said, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The heart in, in, the, in the Bible is speaking of the center of one's affections and our commitments. And so therefore, something else may have our hearts. Something else may have caught our attention, captivated our affections, so that we're only looking at 2023 and we're not thinking far enough ahead into 2024 when the currency exchanges. 
and things have changed. And what Jesus is not saying here is that money is wrong. What Jesus is not saying here is that the house that you have is bad or the car that you drive is wrong. He's not saying it is wrong to have these things. What he's saying is be careful that these things don't have you. What captivates your heart? I know what often captivates my heart. And it is often things. So we bought a new TV uh, this year, I think it was this year, um, we'd lived with the same TV uh, for a long, long time and my kids go to their friends' houses and they have like like real TVs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll be watching shows and we're kind of watching like this small thing and everyone's like looking right up to it and it's like, man, we can't see. And, you know, we've got four kids so there's like six of us fighting over who could see the screen. I'm exaggerating, obviously. And, and we got this new TV. That was a good day. You should see the clarity of this thing. You should see the movies that we watch. And it's like, whoa, we can see the color and the details. And you know what? In five years, Fletcher is going to complain about that TV. I'm going to complain about that TV. At some point, the very thing that we put value in and said, this is amazing, we know that's somebody else's TV in 20 years. And it's probably not even theirs because it's so bad, it's going to go to the dump. Have you ever gone to to the dump and you just see all of the TVs? It's wild. Those TVs meant so much to so many people. This TV currently means a lot to me. If my kids damage it, I will possibly damage not them, but something else in the house. The issue is not having things. That's not the issue isn't making money and having money. That is not Jesus' point. Money is morally neutral. Possessions are morally neutral. Our heart is what matters to God. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I have watched numerous friends of mine who were Christians before I became a Christian who are now what I would call cultural Christians. They are living the middle-class life. They've got the house. They've got the cars. They've got the toys. They've got the careers. They're doing the thing. And as I engaged in their hearts and love for Jesus is not more than 20 years ago when I became a Christian. I would say it's less. And I think it's partly because of what they have pursued for the past 20 years. And somewhere in there, I'm now challenged about my own heart. What are we pursuing? Second thing, your eyes can only focus on one thing at a time. This, this part in the middle of this passage about the eye of the lamp, it says this, it's kind of odd. It says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And when you kind of read that in the next part around the two masters, like the two things kind of make sense. The one in the middle is like, what is the eye and the darkness thing all about? What Jesus really is getting at is that if the heart forms the center of one's affections and commitments, it is our eyes that enable us to see and our eyes that guides our path. The eyes is this metaphorical window between the physical and the spiritual, the, the, the material and the immaterial. 
It's, it's such a huge concept to the Jewish mind. But, but really, I think we can understand it because if there is light in the room and our eyes work, our eyes are allowing light to come in so that we can see. And so someone who is visually impaired, there's something going on with their physical eye that's not allowing them to absorb the light in order that they can see. And so the question is, how is your eyes? How are they? I'm wearing glasses. You know how mine are going. The idea is, is that if our eyes are working properly, we will be seeing the world through the lens of the spiritual, not just the physical. And the eyes are somehow connected to the window of the heart. Uh, Proverbs 4 says this, says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the, the springs of life. It says then how we do that. Put away from you crooked speech and devious talk. So it's saying, here's how you guard your heart. You watch what you say. You watch what you talk about. But then look at these next words. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. If you go to Genesis 3, okay, Genesis 1 and 2 is the great creation of count. Adam and Eve, they're, they're living in this, this Eden, this paradise with four rivers. And it's huge and it's, among, it's humongous and it's, it's blessing them and it's glorious. And there's one thing that they're, they're not to do and that's to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Right? And then you get to Genesis 3 and what is Eve and Adam, what are they looking at? The fruit that's sitting on the tree. Their eyes are like, we can't have all of this stuff. This is amazing, but there's one thing we can't have, and they keep their gaze on it. And so now the enemy comes in and is like, hey, looky, looky. Focus here. Get your focus here. Keep looking here. Verse 6 of chapter 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was a desire to make one wise, I want to get to heaven and just be like, why were you near it? Like they're in acreage upon acreage upon acreage. And there's this one thing. It's like, just be everywhere else. If you can't see it, you don't know you need it. Right? That's what all of the advertising companies know. But if I can get you to see it, now I can get you to think you need it. Advertising, advertising, advertising. How does Facebook make its money? How does Instagram make its money? How does YouTube make its money? How do all of these tech companies make money? Advertising. You need it, you need it, you need it, you need it, you need it. Want it, want it, want it, want it. Desire it, desire it, desire it, desire it. I never knew I needed that bigger, better TV until we saw bigger, better TVs. And then we're like, oh, our TV sucks. This is crap. We didn't know that for like 15 years. The whole time it sucked. <laughs> this, is, this is how it works and this is what materialism does. Materialism, particularly for us in our context, it's just putting stuff before our eyes and saying, look over here, look over here, look over here. And then all of a sudden the affections of our hearts go, actually, yeah, that's, that is what I need. That is what I want. And again, Jesus isn't saying that the iPhone is bad or the iPad is bad or the car is bad or making money is bad. He's saying, but where are you looking in life? And what those things do is they get us to look here in 2023 and not to 2024 when the exchange happens. This idea of having a healthy eye, the, the word there is actually singular. It's having eyes that have a singular focus. And so a Christian, a kingdom man, a kingdom woman 
is one who has their eyes on God's kingdom and considers all of the things that come through their hands, through the lens of how does this impact, how does this affect God's kingdom, the spiritual kingdom. Colossians 3, 1 to 2 says, If then you've been raised with Christ, see things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. 2 Corinthians 4.18, as we look to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Look to the kingdom of God. Think about eternity. Don't just think about tomorrow. Thirdly, your heart can only be at one place at one time. Your eye can only focus on one thing at one time. You can only have one master at one time. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money or God and materials. I love this because Jesus is aware of the objections of his audience in his day. And I think think the objections of his audience in his day are probably the same as ours, which is, well, why can't we have both? Like I, I can have my eyes on both. I can kind of have my eyes on, on Jesus and his kingdom and this, and this world. And Jesus doesn't say you should not. He says you cannot. It's strong language. This idea of a master is a picture of someone requiring total allegiance. That's what this world, this culture is saying to us. It's demanding us. It's calling us, come this way, think this way, see things this way. And God is saying, you can't do both. Come this way, see things this way, be about this kingdom, make this the priority, focus, let me be the king of your heart, not something else. So Jesus is being clear, if you're a Christian and you follow and serve Christ, that should overflow into how we use our money. That should flow how we see and view our possessions. And there are many ways in which money or possessions can be our master. For, for us in the West, I think particularly, it can be the thing that gives us our significance. Right? If I earn this amount, I feel good. Uh, I've spoken to some people in this church who have had the pressure from their parents to get a certain level of degree because if they get that certain level of degree, then they're kind of like continuing on the family educational standard line, which brings significance to the family. We don't want to be an uneducated group. And that's because mum and dad came out of being in the baby boomer generation where they came out post-war and they worked really, really hard to get to this level so they could get their kids to this level. And it's all about significance. Don't don't take the family line back to the uneducated and, and the and the poor. Like let's keep let's keep going. That's really good hearted. I'm a dad, I want to set up my kids. But it's absent of the kingdom. That's not, that's not a bad heart as a parent to go, hey, we're, we're plowing through. We're, we're breaking through so that the next generation can be, can be set up better. That, that's a good thing as a dad or a mum, right? 
But in that, there's no teaching of the kingdom and God's purposes. And so that's what's bringing the significance to the family. For some of us, it's security. If we have this amount of money, and I know there's a bunch of you who are great savers in the room. Uh, one of my favorite things about premarital is for some reason, God's never put two spenders or two savers together. He just makes sure you're different. One spender, one saver, because he just wants, you, he just wants to sit up there and watch and laugh at how much you guys fight over stupid things. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm sorry, but I've only probably found one who's like, they agree. It's like, oh, you guys will probably... You'll either go poor because you're both spenders <laughs> or you're never going to enjoy life because you just save. Um, but like, if you read the Proverbs, there's so much about saving and investing for the future. There's wisdom in that. The, the Bible's very, very clear that we should think about tomorrow. We should think about the future and making sure we have money in our accounts so that when something goes wrong in this world, which it does, we're not put under financial strain because we've been thinking for the future. We've been planning for that future. However, when that is absence of the fact that God is your father who provides everything to you and he will ultimately look after you, then the money, the possessions are what give you a security, not your father in heaven who's asking you to steward it wisely. And so this is the disposition that God is saying, Jesus is saying, hey, hey, check, check who's your master. Where is your security coming from? Do you genuinely believe that God is your father who will look after you. Therefore, don't just waste money. Don't just save money. Steward money in a way that he says. A really popular one I think that I find is that money sometimes becomes my master through the fact that it leads to satisfaction. Who here just likes to buy stuff? I love how no one put up their hand on that. No one is willing to go, yeah, that's me. Like, I, I love when I get that brand new iPhone and I find out all the little gimmicks it can do. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And the photo that it can take. So I'm a terrible photographer. My wife's really good. But when I get the better phone, mine looks better than hers. I, I love new things. I love new toys. I love, I love it. And you get it and you're just like, oh, this is so good. We just got a new office, right? We just spent money on some new chairs and I sit in the chair and I just rock and it can do all these things. It can go up, it can go down, it can spin, the things can... I just sit there for ages. Four hours goes by, I haven't spent any time praying or sermon prepping. I've just been enjoying and spinning around the chair. (laughs) The question is not whether do things give us joy, right? God has made all things so that we can enjoy it. We're not to feel guilty for the house we have, the car we drive. We don't have to feel guilty because God has blessed us to enjoy those things. The question, though, is do we enjoy Christ more than those things? Would we sell and get rid of the stuff if it meant we could have Jesus and by having the stuff we don't get Jesus? That's that's the issue with the rich young ruler is he's like he wants to be in the Jesus thing and Jesus is like, yeah, but you've kind of got this thing over here that's got your heart. You're probably going to need to get rid of that because that's always going to consume you. And he was like, I can't, I can't get rid of that though. And Jesus is like, that's because that's your master. That's what satisfies you is the stuff. So Jesus challenges us. He says that a heart can only be in one place at one time. Our eyes can only focus on one thing at a time and we can only have one master at a time. So the question for us then becomes, well, how do, how do we live this out? 
And verse 19, I think, is the answer to that. Store up treasures in heaven. D.A. Carson says this. says, we tend to move toward the object of which we fix our gaze. In the same way, our whole lives drift relentlessly towards the spot where our treasures are stored. Because our hearts will take us there. To follow Jesus faithfully entails, therefore, a consistent development of our deepest loves. To train ourselves to adopt an unswerving loyalty to the kingdom values and to the light in all that God approves. So, so to, to battle this, this, this threat of materialism to our heart takes an intentionality. We, we've got to fight this because this is something that's real for us. Right? This is like... So we have spoken about lust. We've spoken about all sorts of things. This has been the quietest service we've had in a very long time. Why? Just pastorally, why? I tell you why. Because this gets to our hearts. Don't talk about this stuff. I don't, I don't want to hear it. Don't challenge me. It's like this gets to the deep depths of our hearts. I don't like it when this gets talked about. I don't like my heart being challenged because so much of the stuff I have has my heart. Don't touch it. Don't wreck it. Don't break it. Storing up treasures on earth occurs as we fix our gaze on things by allowing greed and materialism to rule our hearts, which then leads us to accumulate and grip tightly to material things. But storing up treasure in heaven means that we fix our gaze on Christ, who he is, what he has done, his eternal kingdom, by allowing his word to rule our hearts. That then leads us to hold loosely to the material things of this world, sharing generously and freely releasing for the kingdom's purposes. So I want to give you three things, three practical things that have helped me and I think can help us. Number one is reduce what you look at. Anybody here like grand designs? Yeah. Okay, we've got a few hands up. We've got the new, newly married couple. Their hands up. They're like, we're great. Okay, I've never come away from watching grand designs turned off the TV and looked at my house and went, I love this joint. (laughs) This place is great. See that kitchen with the door that's still not been replaced on it? See all the cupboard space that we don't have? See all the laminate that's coming off? (sighs) That's good, eh? No, no, no. every time I watch watch Grand Designs, I really appreciate it, and they go, my house sucks. (laughs) And immediately my heart goes, I need more money to make this better. Because this thing is a dump. Guess what? If I take a trip to the Philippines in a few years and we go and meet a whole bunch of our sponsor children and we go there and we look at how they live, we will come back and go, oh man, my house is amazing. So you've got to be careful of what you look at. And in the West, we get to see how all of the Like we think they're rich, but we're rich, right? We get to see that those who are more rich, how they live. We get to see their houses, their cars. Younger people, maybe you're watching YouTube and you've got particular people that you follow and you see the shoes they wear, the clothes they wear, the cars they drive. You have to be careful how much you watch and how much you look at because that will tug at your heart. And Grand Designs is great. They always overspend, but it's great. (laughs) Number two, take stock of what is in your hands. 
Look at what you do have. What has God given you? So have you been afforded the privileges in this country to get a degree and to go through uni and to have these things? Like, have, have you got a TV? Do you have a car? Do you have a house? Do you have gifts and skill sets and things that God has given you? Do you have money and possessions? What has God already given you? Evaluate that. Consider that. And then ask the question, how do I take what he has given me and steward that towards his kingdom purposes. So if we have a house, does it just get used for us? Or has God given us the house so that we could use it for his kingdom? For others, to bless others, to minister to others. We had the Paxes here. When the Paxes arrived, they didn't have a car. Someone said, we have a spare car, use the car. Like it's that type of stuff. It's like we have something in our hands. We can go without it for a little while to bless and help you. What do you have? What are the gifts you have? What are the skills you have? What's the heart that God has given you? This is what you see with Moses in the Exodus, right? Moses, we looked at Exodus last year. He, he goes away. He runs away. He becomes a shepherd. And in that, he gets a staff because that's what shepherds have. And somewhere along the way, God says to him, don't overlook the staff. Use it. I gave you the staff. I've made you a shepherd. How can you use the staff for my kingdom purposes? It eventually becomes one of the main pieces that leads to the deliverance of the people. It also becomes the thing he eventually smacks at a rock in anger. Right? There's different ways in which you can use what God has given you. What has God given you? How can you use it? How can you steward it? And thirdly, direct everything you have towards God's kingdom first. Now, let me just say this. There's there's one objection that I had when I was early in my faith, which was, why does God demand so much from me? Why do I was like, oh, man, just give me a break. Just became a Christian. Like, why do I have to, you know? And after a while, I I was feeling beaten down. Now, I will say I was in a workspace church, okay, who didn't understand grace, didn't preach the gospel well. Um, But I was constantly like, and now he wants my money? Whoa, what else does he want? (laughs) And then someone said, ah, let's go to Philippians and let's, let's look at the fact that he who was rich became poor. In other words, what this gentleman was saying to me is God's never asking anything of you that he himself has never asked of himself. He has given everything to us. He left heaven, came to earth and gave it all. And now he's saying, now with everything i've given you now start to think how you give that back to his kingdom when i when i thought about that it changed the way i thought about my money because now i realized it's not my money it's not my house it's not my car this is not my wife these are not my children (laughs) let me take that back i'll keep the wife i'll keep the children no (laughs) primarily My wife belongs to the Lord and the Lord has gifted me and graced me with her. These children belong to the Lord and God has gifted and graced them to me. The house is not mine. It belongs to the Lord, partly the bank, and he has given that to me. All of the money that we currently have in our bank account belongs to God. The question I must ask is how will I use it for him? 
So let me finish with something we do as a family to think about our money and maybe it may help you. So if I could throw up this slide, this is kind of a distinction between how our culture thinks about money and possessions. This is the order of which they apply things. So in our culture, the first thing you do with money and possessions, like who's the first one pointing to in culture? Self, right? It's spend and enjoy. Like make the money and then spend it, like use it for you. Spend it, enjoy it. Secondly, save and invest it. And then thirdly, like whatever you got left over, like give that away. Maybe help the poor, maybe throw some money in the, at the cricket when they're doing a you know, thing for breast cancer, like give some money away. That's cultural. And the way that the Bible speaks about it, it says, look, none of those things are wrong. They're just in the wrong order. That's why they get to the heart. The order is give first. So whatever you have, the first thing isn't, what does this do for me? The first thing is, how do I use this for God? What do we give and bless others with? How do we do that? Secondly, then we think about saving and investing, which again, a lot of churches speak about a whole lot of money, don't talk about, but the Bible's really, really clear. Money's not just about giving, it's also about saving and investing and thinking about the future. And then thirdly, live on the rest. Right? And so we're, we're even doing this with our kids right now. My, my son works, my daughter is making money through eggs and chickens and stuff like that. And what we're saying is, hey, the first thing we do with our money is we give it. And so before you get to spend any of it, it actually goes to the church. So they're giving 10% to this church. Everything they earn comes here. Then they're saving 60% because they live at home. They don't pay a dime yet. So they're saving 60%. And then we're saying, great, with the last 30, you do whatever you want with it. Spend and enjoy it. Because you've worked hard, you've done well, and it's okay for you to have things. We don't want a poverty doctrine. We don't want prosperity, but we don't want poverty. 1 Timothy 6 goes on to tell them that God has given us everything freely to enjoy. So we need to be able to enjoy it. But the way that that works is it's the order of priority. So I don't know what you have. I don't know what you earn. But here's what I do know. Give to God first. Work out what that is. Work out what you're going to give to the church. Some of you here, maybe you don't give to this church. I would ask you, consider, what will you give financially to this church to help God's purposes here work? Work that out prayerfully. Make a decision. Give. Then work out, okay, well, we've got a future. We need to think about how we're going to save and think about that. And then after that, we're going to live according to that. And then you get used to that. And here's the thing. If you pick percentages, it's a lot easier. Because as your income maybe ebbs and flows, you just stick with the percentage. So that's how we've rolled. We've gone, okay, we're going to give this percentage away. Then we're going to try and save this percentage. And then we're just living on the, on the rest. And look, when this church is 450,000 people, like I'm going, to be, I'm going to have the private jet. I'll get there. Okay? <laughs> okay, but not yet. Okay? What is the heart of Jesus here? The heart of Jesus is not to get your money. The heart of Jesus is to get your heart and to take the grip of materialism off it so that you become free. That's the heart of Jesus. For where your treasure is, there's your heart, and that is what Jesus is going after. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. Um, God, sometimes it's hard because it speaks to the reality of our own hearts. And God, often 
Even here at this church, you know, we, we don't talk about these things often. But they're in your word. And this, this matters to you because we matter to you. And God, I don't know where everybody is in this room in, in, in regards to materialism, to their possessions, to their, to their money. I don't know what hardships financially they're under. I don't know all of those things, but you do. And so God, I pray that by your spirit, you would, just, you would just help reorient our hearts back to you to know that we can trust you, that you are our father. And you love us and you care for us and you want the best for us. And you are calling us to consider what has our hearts. What is having our attention and our focus and who really are we serving in this world? And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and challenge us to think through the lens of your kingdom first. That we would consider what we have in our hands and how we could use that, not for ourselves first, but for you and your kingdom and your purposes first. Lord, that you would help us to be wise stewards who, who wouldn't just spend and waste money, but we would also save it and invest it and think about the future. And then, Lord, you would help us to see all that we have through a lens of actually enjoying and receiving the blessing that you have given us. And ultimately, you have given us yourself. And help our hearts to pursue you first, to seek you first, to consider you first, to want you more. Lord, help us to consider this life in light of the next. That we would think of the day when the exchange changes and what we have stored up in a spiritual sense. I pray this in your son's wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lake. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.